0: My girlfriend and I sit like this. I never saw anything like that in the church. I never even knew that, you know, you could be, like, drunk in the spirit. I mean, I read about it, but he appeared like he was drunk. And then her uncle, who was the pastor over the church, is sitting over there. Well, he wasn't sitting. He was on all fours. And he loosened his tie. And everybody looked like a bunch of lunatics, And there was no service, except laughter just broke out on the congregation. Well, I go home the next day, and it was 1984. Maybe it was a little later than that. My, My daughter and my son were in the living room, and my son's crawling around, and my daughter, she was out of kindergarten or something. All of a sudden, the spirit of laughter hit me and my kids. And we were just laughing hysterically for such a long time, that our stomachs hurt. And do you know my daughter to this day remembers that? And I tell you, that experience, I mean, it was a real deposit of joy in my life. And I tell you one thing, Nehemiah was right when he said, it's the joy of the Lord that's your strength. And if you don't have joy, you don't have strength. When you have, uh, now people, they experience joy in different ways. They can just be, internally content. Yeah, that's, that's joy. And then there is a level of joy that, you know, you just smile and you're happy in God. But there's another place of joy where you're just like inebriated <laughs> in the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, I love those moments. And it's a real deposit in you. It really is. And I just really believe that God wants to just deposit joy here tonight. I really do. I'm not going to make anything happen. You know, I'm just going to talk about, you know, whatever we're going to talk about here, but just expect the Spirit of God to release joy to you. Joy is life-changing. It really is. It's a fruit of the Spirit, but it's also an indicator that you have really relinquished control and you're blissfully happy in God. And I can't explain what happens. I remember a girl come up to me one time. She was telling me our husband left her and everything, and i started laughing and i just she's telling me this horrific story and i'm laughing at her and i'm <laughs> and it, what it was <laughs> i was laughing at her and I, all of a sudden i'm like this doesn't seem appropriate you know for the conversation going on and she said i walked away so mad she says but for some reason she says i felt free she says i didn't talk about it the rest of the week and she says, every time I get around you, she says, you start laughing when I tell you these things. She goes, but it makes me feel free. And I'm like, she wanted to talk sorrow, and God wanted her to have a release of joy. So we don't always understand these things, but I just feel there's a joy and uh, giddiness and laughter in the room tonight. And, you know, just let yourself yield to that. Don't try and make anything happen. Zoe and I remember when we were at that retreat in the vineyard up in New Jersey. And they came in, and they're like, they didn't even want me there because I wasn't vineyard, you know. They just only hired vineyard people to come in and, and preach. So I was not vineyard, and I didn't try and make anything happen. I was just teaching and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the weekend, uh, the associate pastor, he was going to pioneer a church, and he just sat there, and laughter broke out everywhere. He goes, I love when this happens. He goes, we didn't try and work anything up. It just happened. It just happened. So I thank you, Lord, that anything could happen. You ladies are probably going to get it first. <laughs> you, maybe you brought it in because <laughs> she made me a carrot cake. and <laughs> Anyway, okay. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for joy in the house. Thank you, Lord, because joy makes us dance. It makes us sing. It makes us happy. It makes us free. It washes away worries and cares. Thank you, Lord, that we can, um, you know, if you have joy, you really can go without sleep, and it doesn't even bother you. Joy is strength. I think that's why Nehemiah wrote that, I think it was in chapter um, 8 or 9 of Nehemiah, but it, only, it took them 52 days to build, 52 days. And I believe it was because they had joy. It, d- it gave them strength. Okay, 411, and he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So really this speaks here that the prophetic culture developed in the house of God is uh, key and it is so foundational to build a stable generational powerful, productive and fruitful work. You need prophetic culture in the house of God. And it's a shame because I go to, you know, some churches and they're really resistant. They don't understand why we're after the prophetic and why we're after here in the heart of God and why we do prophetic ministry and teams, and why we want prophetic um, culture in the kingdom of God. It is so essential, it's so foundational, that in these days, God's house must be that place where people can come to hear the word of the Lord, because it's going to be the only place of refuge in the days ahead. The word of the Lord is going to be a refuge for you. It's going to be a place of safety. Not safety necessarily from impending uh, financial things, although that may come or whatever, but safety from the chaos in the land. And I believe that they're going to be knocking down those churches that allow prophetic culture because they're going to be so hungry for truth and so hungry for answers the body of Christ has to grab hold and has to cooperate and be unified with leadership that says we are going to cultivate a prophetic culture in the house of God. And I know their hearts and they're after this. I believe you already have it here to some degree, but I'm just trying to bring understanding on why you're developing a culture here in the house of God. It's going to bring people into a mature place, maturity. You know, if you want to remain a child in the kingdom of God, you don't have responsibilities. You can just come and hear a word and go home. But if you want to be a son, you want to be a priest, you want to be a person that carries substance in a dark land, if you want to be a person of substance and maturity, you're going to have to grab hold of this truth. You're going to have to grab hold of it because God is calling us to maturity as it says here the prophetic leads us to a place of maturity and maturity comes what comes with that is responsibility it really does so i believe you know what though you're you know you're not uh, excessively large and you're not really a small group but you're a mature group because you're try- you're here to test what i'm saying you're here to see if this is a, a value. And, and you're here because you want to advance, grow, mature, and become productive citizens of the kingdom. And it carries responsibility because, like what we did tonight, that, that was not to uh, make a show, or certainly I didn't want to embarrass anybody. But I know she's pastor's sister. You know, I just met her. I really don't know a whole lot about her, right? We just had spaghetti together, you know. But obedience is uh, a signature of someone who is mature. Obedience. And when the word of the Lord comes to you, you have a responsibility to act. And see, when you act on a prophetic word, things happen. Things change. You see, it's not so much that she had a bill met or whatever she needed the money for. Was that a correct amount or somewhere in there, 150? You know, I don't know. God showed me that. What if she wasn't pastor's sister? What if she was um, passing by, recently divorced, or really in a desperate place emotionally and um, mentally? that could have shifted everything about her existence. And it could create in her, you know, the revelation of the love of God to such a degree now. She's going to pursue God for herself, and she's going to say, God, what is my destiny? She's going to grab hold of the things of God. She could be a world changer. So we change and shape the culture of the land by changing and shaping individuals through obedience and maturity because the foundation of the house has developed a prophetic culture that's what it is it also brings a heightened awareness of his presence when you have when you create a prophetic culture people don't come now because they're going gr- to get a hold of the word of God. In that prophetic culture, in that prophetic house, you have a people that they're inclining their ear unto the Lord, and they're learning about responding to him, so the atmosphere is already charged with expectation because the prophetic people are people of expectancy. They're expecting to hear. They're learning about discernment. They're growing in their capacity to to receive the kingdom in their personhood. And because of that, the atmosphere is charged with the very presence of God, and the very presence of God itself will change situations and people. And it'll grow the house. Now, sometimes you don't look for numbers, but numbers is a sign of growth. You know, anybody say, well, we're happy with 15 people, we love each other. Well, fine, you can have love, you can have cooperation, but without a prophetic kingdom culture in the house, you're not going to do anything for the kingdom. It creates a sensitivity of the plans and purposes of heaven and t- in order to release them into the earth. You see, it's not about, one time Abner and I were talking, and he says, you know, he says, I don't know, he says, people line up and they want me to give them a prophetic word. He says, and I'll do that, and Abner will stay and he will put his heart into prophesying over people for hours. And sometimes I do that, a lot of times I don't. You know, I just do what the Lord, you know, prompts me to do. But I said to him, you know what? I says, I'd rather speak one word that'll change a nation than to prophesy to individuals because they haven't cultivated a strong relationship with God for themselves. You see, we were in Nicaragua. Well I went with Paul, but before that, I had gone there. And actually, I was on TV. I was on Nicaraguan TV. The pastor knew the TV guy. We got on there, and he says we're going to do a service before the TV. It was like TBN in Nicaragua. So we go in there, and I figured, you know how you have it in the United States here. You have like five or six people watching um, when they film a TV show and then you, you clap and you think your hundreds of people are clapping, but it's really five people. <laughs> he opens up the door and there was like hundreds of people in there. And I'm like, I was not expecting that. So I says, you know, I had an um, interpreter and everything. But I, the Spirit of God prompted me at that time. I was practically pleading with them to pray for the finances of the United States. I said please I said your country here I've been to your churches they're full of intercessors and I said please I says, I know that the United States has sent finances through missionaries and offerings and children's feeding programs we've sent money here for years and I said I believe that your church is going to pro- your your uh, country will prosper as you sow into my country because they were so used to us sowing into them and here I twisted it now. I says, please, sow into us in prayer for our finances. I didn't know anything. Well, it was right around the time, maybe 2008, with the financial thing going down. But, you know, well, whatever. The financial situation, it may seem a little bit better. But anyway, what I did in that room, by obeying God, prompting me to say, would you, I felt prompted of them to, to ask them to intercede for our country. And because uh, the Lord prompted me prophetically to release that, I was releasing them to pray for us, that they rose up to the occasion. And they were so excited. You could see the maturity of them and the expectation in the room was charged with the power of God because it, was, it became prophetic. The whole atmosphere became prophetic because I, I just heard that. And, and they were like drawn in now what we're doing is we're pulling out maturity in them. Wow, we can do something for someone else. And you see, that's what the gift will do in you. You have, you have a, a gift deposited. And, and now, under a spirit of generosity, you're going to release that. You're releasing the very heart of God, and it will create such a culture of change. People are looking for change. That's what they're looking for. People don't ever want to stay the same. Like you said, sister, that um, they came in through the north gate and they had to leave it through another gate. We don't want to ever stay the same. So a prophetic culture, it, it will always challenge us because God is always speaking. And now more than ever, we, we absolutely, it's become imperative that we know the voice of God. It's not an option anymore. It's imperative that we know the voice of the Lord. So it makes us sensitive to God's purposes. You know, <clears throat> I'm going to get into this a little bit later on. But um, I, I am—I belong to um, a group of women. Um, I think there's some men. It's in the state of North Carolina that um, it's the Strategic Carolina Strategic Prayer Alliance and I'm the overseer for the triad area. And what what I basically do is, you know, it's through Barbara Wentrobel and Dutch Sheets, and they have this whole, you know, amazing network of intercessors that will listen to heaven and release strategies. And I don't know, Zoe, were you with me? Well, one of the strategies was this one month, every intercessor on there was going to step foot into abortion centers not to curse them not to protest them we went on the place and we just by stepping our foot on that place we were stepping and we were decreeing things and we went to several in Greensboro that day right three well the next day one was closed down now I think there's only one open we actually went and drove to one and it had previously closed like that week and the the prayer lines didn't even know it so anyway I sent back the report but when you get, you're gathering now a group of people that are listening, and we're going to corporately go to prayer centers. And then something happened. Why? Because the word of the Lord, the strategy of heaven was released through listening ears. Powerful stuff. And we have that in our hands. You see, I, I just really believe that this church needs to, you'll get some strategy going. It'd be Powerful. You know, I told Paul, I says, get a map out. Mark the territory, mark the region, and then go. I know he's, you said someone in here had done that. They had set up stakes in the ground. These are very powerful acts. Matthew ten forty one. he who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And what is the prophet's reward? It's the ability to see and hear. You see, and I don't always understand. You know, I wasn't comfortable in the term prophet. Up until a few years ago, I was pastor. But then there came a a time where I knew I was called as a prophet many years ago. But I never called myself that. And I never um, felt really comfortable in my skin. I felt like it was a hat that didn't quite fit me, you know. And then I kind of got comfortable in it. And I felt okay when people would say, you're a prophet. But you know what? It didn't matter what they said about me because it doesn't really matter. We all are who we are. You know, but I know when I go into a place s- that God opens up something and people begin to see and hear. And, and it's because you receive this gift. You receive it through, you know, I, God called me. I didn't call myself. And you, you know that about yourself. You didn't choose what. I probably would have chose something much more glamorous than somebody who gets rejected a lot. <laughs> but anyway, he who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. So when you receive the prophetic in the house of God, when you receive that in your culture and say, we're ready, you know, we want this culture in the house, we're going to cultivate it, we're going to steward it, we're going to mature in it, man, your eye gates and your ear gates are just going to stay open because it's not only receiving the prophet, it's receiving Jesus as the prophet, but you're receiving that gift and all it encompasses 2 Chronicles twenty twenty. Put your trust in his prophets and you will succeed. If you trust in the prophetic, you're going to have success. It's not earthly success. It's that you're going to have God's kind of success. And what's God's kind of success? It's being humble people that are empowered. That's success in the kingdom. Humble people that are empowered. That's really success. <clears throat> It's through the word of the Lord that we define who we are and where we are going as a people. And this is key because I believe this is where this house is right now in this season of the church life. That God's going to give you strategy and direction. Along with that comes correction and motivation. When you have strategy and direction, you're suddenly motivated. But without developing strategy you're kind of like wandering around like uh, what's the next plan? You know? Wh- what is the next plan? What do we do from this point? How do we grow? How do we reach you know uh, the drug addict? How do we reach the unwed mothers? How do we reach the teenagers? How do we reach the gangs? How do we reach the up and outer? You know what? I think sometimes the church needs to shift from thinking about everybody's the down and outer. We go after the the poor in society. Well, I think we need to go after the rich. You know, they're just as lost. Don't limit your mindset to a down and outer. The up and outer. I know some of them. And then we spoke about value the other day. Okay? Any questions so far? Now take out the sheet. I I pulled it from my um, school manual, New Day, Five Runner School of the Prophet, the variations in the prophetic. Because I think sometimes people limit the prophetic to just speaking. The Lord would say this to his people. Or I have a word for you. Or God is saying this. Or there's a tongue, an interpretation. Or you sit down and somebody says, I have a word for you. And we limit the prophetic to that when that's just a tiny portion of the prophetic. It really is. Prophesying is a very tiny portion of the prophetic. Delivering a word. What do you, you get in the laughter? <laughs> They're going to say no. Something. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a funny story. We had, uh, any of you ever hear, see Georgian Banoff? He's the apostle of joy. You've seen him? He plays the fiddle. He's just a guy of love. He'll play the fiddle over somebody in a wheelchair till they get healed. He's just a sweet man. Anyway, um, he came to our church, and we had these really zealous couple. They were in their early 60s. They loved to dance. But they did kind of like ballroom dancing. <laughs> but they were real sweet. They had a heart of worship. And they were just, you know, they were always holding hands. They were dancing and twirling and everything. Well, he tried so hard to be so free that I think one night it was, like, really funny. He came, Georgian was ministering that night. And he had known Georgian from going to Israel with him. And he loved him. They were dancing down the streets or something. Anyway, he comes in with a shopping bag at church. So I'm like, what is he having this shopping bag? and I, 2 minutes later i saw what he had in the shopping bag he had on what is that snorkeling stuff he had on the snorkel thing he had on what else the 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 glass the snorkel and the flippers on his feet cuz he wanted to swim in the deep he wanted to he wanted to worship in the river <laughs> And he, he was dancing across the front, and honestly, that's why I'm thinking, laughter. I went into such a laughter. It wasn't Holy Spirit joy laughter. It was just like, this was the silliest thing I'd ever seen. But I couldn't stop laughing. I was laughing from my gut. So there, there was a discernible difference there. It wasn't spirit laughter. But what people do sometimes in charismatic, that had to been... The most extreme thing I'd ever seen in church, he come out and he's this little skinny 65-year-old person with the dancing and he, he, I guess in his mind he was provoking everybody to worship. <laughs> come into the deep places with God. <laughs> come into the river or the ocean, I don't know. I don't know why I said that, but anyway. I guess it's because I was wondering if you were laughing because of something that happened or if it was real. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the variations in the prophetic. <laughs> Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14:26. <laughs> Don't you love being free? I remember I'd sit next to my son in church when he was about 10. Man, if those kids wiggle, like, pinch them. And now it's like, hey, let them dance. Let them run around. Who cares? They're just being kids. How is it, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And really that speaks to that when we gather We're each bringing a deposit of the Spirit of God, a variation of the Spirit. When we come together, we gather together, we each bring something to the table. And that's also uh, a different thought pattern from what we're used to in church. We're coming to receive. And if you come in with the mindset, I, I came here to bring something, you're going to get in position as a soldier. You're here to, what are you going to bring? What are you bringing into the house of God? You're bringing worship. You're bringing intercession. You're bringing the ability to, to stand and watch. Are you bringing, um, you know, finances needed? Are you bringing your gift of giving? Are you bringing your gift of tongues? What are you bringing? A song? A hymn? A scripture? A teaching? What are you bringing? And that will challenge us. So there's so many variations of the prophetic ministry. Like I said, it is not just about, you didn't come here this week to just, you know, get free enough to give somebody a word. But we are going to do that. Tomorrow night and Saturday It's going to be intensive activations. Um, So I want to talk about the variations. The following variations are not necessarily to large groups or platforms within the church, but to be scattered throughout the earth. The workplace, the home, the extended family unit, your neighborhood or the streets can be your sphere of authority. We are the salt of the earth. Now, this will help you, challenge you to think individually about what you're bringing to the kingdom, individually. What are you bringing? Because I think once you define what you have and what you possess, and you read like, she brought me a carrot cake tonight. That was really a picture, you know. She, brought, she was coming, to, she gave me a gift. She brought it to the house of God and she gave it to me. Now, of course, we're not going to come in with cakes every week and hand them out. But it's a picture of what can you bring. All the gifts, they, they come from a spirit of generosity. They really do. What can I bring? Not necessarily always, what do I bring into church on Sunday morning? What am I bringing to the kingdom? What do I have to offer humanity? That's really who we are. What do we have to offer humanity from the spirit of God? There's dreamers and visionaries. This realm of the prophetic is often called the seer realm. I'm doing a school of the seers at my church in August. And um, it's actually going to be the first one. It's going to be geared toward those, towards those people that are seers. They, they see. You're a seer. You see. You dream. You're very perceptive. You're a discerner. You have night dreams. You have visions during the daytime. You're um, very sensitive. You, you feel other people's feelings. You can cry with people. You can cry the heart of the Lord. You can uh, feel the anger of God. You're very perceptual. These are the seers. Um, people who walk in this realm are called to alert and awaken people and bring the reality of the spirit realm to earth. You bring the reality of the realm of the Holy Spirit to earth. So you are positioned on the earth as a receptor of revelation. That's who you are. You receive revelation. You receive um, perceptions of angels. You watch and you see. You, you are very sensitive um, people. You've always been sensitive people, not just when you came into the kingdom. You're sensitive when you're a little child and though you may not know that you're called to be a seer, you could be one that you know, um, just I was a, when I was a little girl and my dad left and he would come around and when he would come around, this darkness would come in the room with him. And I didn't know that I was perceiving that. I just thought, I don't feel good. I don't like this. And I took it on myself and I became depressed. I didn't understand that I was carrying, I was receiving the realm I was receiving his his pain. (laughs) You know this is the Holy Ghost when you're talking about depression. you got two other people over here cracking up. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Um, It's okay. Now, who in the scripture is a seer? Zechariah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. They're biblical examples of seers. Ezekiel. Daniel had dreams. Ezekiel, I mean, all he did was sit by a river, soaked in the presence of God, and he says the heavens were opened, and from that we see, what, 40 chapters of wild and crazy visions. Ezekiel was a seer. Since Pentecost, the church as a whole can function in this realm since Pentecost, because he said, in the latter days, I'm going to pour out the seer realm. You're going to dream. You're going to see visions. This is what's happening in the earth today. But there are those that, you know, it's like I can learn how to ride a bike, but I'm not Lance Armstrong. You follow what I'm saying? You can have an occasional dream, but that doesn't make you a seer. You can have, like, um, I, c- I can cook a scrambled egg, but that doesn't make me a Wolfgang Puck. Do <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? So we all can dream and have visions, but there are those who are dreamers and visionaries on a regular basis. And they carry an awesome responsibility because they connect heaven with earth to release information, warnings, and activities that are going on. Their challenge, though, is how to interpret all of the stuff that I'm not quite sure of. And I believe I was very poor at interpretation. I dream all the time, but I always say, uh, "Somebody else needs to help me interpret this because I am just not a good interpreter." And then I said, well, "I'm just going to ask God. <laughs> you know, duh, I'm going to ask God, help me interpret it." And all of a sudden I just found I could interpret dreams. You know, I was able to interpret visions. Look at these two over here. <laughs> just <out of> after. <laughs> oh, more, Lord. Wisdom. Seers, sometimes they don't have a whole lot of wisdom and they don't understand why other people don't understand them. And sometimes they're trying hard to communicate and they're trying to put all of these random, hazy um, pictures or pieces together and they're not quite sure how to do it. So sometimes their speech sounds a little... um, Listen, uh, I just saw this, you know, I don't know, like this shadow over you, and I don't know, maybe it was an angel, and I don't know what the angel was doing, and it looked yellow. And this is how seers talk because they're, tr- they're trying to interpret things that they're yet able to understand. Does that make sense? How many of you feel that that's you? Anybody? Hmm You?) <laughs> We had this one guy in my school, and he was a lawyer. Can you believe it? He'd go into court, and he'd do these debates and bring you know legal arguments to the table. But he was a seer, and I could never understand what he was talking about. It's like he, he was like, yeah, he'd be in this vision or this trance, and he could never really express himself. And seers sometimes, they have a hard time really expressing themselves because they themselves don't even understand half of what's going on. But, you know, that's why seers, they can take your time, ask God to help you interpret things, write your dreams down. Don't be in a rush to interpret it. They'll unfold over time. If you have a vision and it may not be really clear what it is, write it down, ask the Holy Spirit what it's for, pray into it, Slow yourself down. These are practical things that seers can do, dreamers and visionaries. Then there's discerners. Now, I know I spoke about discernment last night, but there are those that really have a strong gift of discernment. It's a variation of the seer anointing. But this realm primarily involves knowing and perceiving. They just know stuff. It's just very crystal clear to them. They just get a gut feeling on a regular basis. They perceive things on a regular basis. It's black and white. These type of people in the body of Christ are really good in deliverance ministry or as intercessors because they just know what to pray for. They just know things by the spirit. It's anything you can't conjure up. You're not using your natural reasoning now. You just know. Nobody can argue with you. I tell my husband sometimes, I say, Andy, I just know. How do you know that you know? I say, look, when I know that I know that I know, don't argue with me because I know. Right? And how many of you are like that? When you know something, you know it. But you know it by the spirit. It's not learned, It's not because you read something and that's what it said. You know that you know that you know. How do you know? The Spirit of God is truth. And he brings that revelation to you, so it's true. It's a fact. They are watchmen, intercessors, deliverers, gatekeepers. They're very sensitive to the realm of the demonic as well as the heavenlies. They are able to discern thoughts and intentions of the heart. They're usually quiet. They're introspective. They're deep thinkers. Sometimes they're misread, and they can be prone to isolation or frustrations when they are not heard or understood. Biblical examples are Issachar and prophets who expressed and understood the heart of God, such as Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Habakkuk. And what they need to avoid is self-righteousness, because they know that they know that they know. Frustration, because others don't respond. They know something, or they, they're, they're watchmen, but they don't see anything being changed, so they get real frustrated. Or self pity. And self pity is um, Elijah. I mean, he, he was, what, full of self pity. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Nobody else but me. How many watchmen or intercessors? How come there's only two of us that show up at the prayer meetings? You know, self-pity, self-righteousness. It's me. Everything's on me. Really, the root of that is pride. Prophetic intercessors. The intercessor is a combination of the above in that it sees and discerns, but it has a grace, an unusual, a great grace upon their life to spend a great deal of time in prayer, and they are passionate about it. They're passionate about intercession. They love prayer meetings. I love prayer meetings. I I enjoy myself in a prayer meeting more than any place else on the earth, more than preaching. I I love prayer. I mean, I I pray when I'm walking. I pray in the car. I have tongues. It's not that I'm able to go four hours into a closet every day, but I love, I said, you can take everything away from me, but don't take prayer. You know, that, that's how I feel about it. That's how God first used me, is I, I, I pray sometimes. When my baby, when Andrew was like two weeks old, I'd be in a rocking chair, and I'd just rock. And, you know, a lot of times you say, well, I'm busy with the kids. That's the best time to pray, because you're bound in the house. <laughs> you know, and there was a great grace for extended hours you know, on end, and I just, I loved it. I didn't boast in it. I really enjoyed it. Well, other people, like my husband, he's not an intercessor. Now, he loves to pray, but he doesn't understand. He's like, are you done yet? We got to go. I say, Andy, let's pray together. Okay. And he'll pray like maybe two or three sentences, and, and then he'll go, okay, let's go. <laughs> you know, I say, listen, we got to intercede for your mom, Okay. Holy Spirit, touch my mother. Blah, 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 pray a little bit in tongues. Okay, let's go. Let's go to Coles um, now. And I'm like, man, I'm going to stay here all day until this burden's released from me. So there was a. Gr- there's great grace on an intercessor. They enjoy. In fact, if you find yourself in a, any of these categories, you're going to enjoy. You're going to have great joy and great grace in whatever variation you are in the prophetic. I, if you're, you know. Um, Dreamer and visionary, you just love being lost with God. You know, you just love sitting there and daydreaming and getting lost in the spirit. Seers love to get lost in the spirit. You know, they, they find it hard to connect in, in this earth. They find it hard to even relate sometimes with people because they're so busy trying to relate with, you know, they're engaging now with the spirit realm, the Holy Spirit realm. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Anna is a biblical example of a prophetic intercessor in that she never left the temple day or night. She prayed and she fasted. Now, who would never leave the house of God day or night except somebody that had great grace on their life for prayer and intercession, right? It takes prophetic grace and passion to give oneself to an, unknown, uh, to an unnoticed in those hidden places. All believers will experience intercession, but few are called to live as a drink offering in that ministry. Okay, and I'm going to end up with this last one here because I want to pray. But Zoe, I want Zoe to come on up. We're going to talk about the prophetic arts and expression. And I believe that God wants to release, uh, release this in this house. Because since I came here prophetically, I would have visions of people dancing. I saw in this corner, I saw a canvas with just paints. God's going to raise up people that have a heart, just draw and paint. Banners. There's, There's seamstresses in here to make banners and flags. There's a whole creative. I can see paintings. I can see color coming into this house. God is releasing a spirit of creativity in the form of prophetic art. Prophetic art and creativity and expression. It's also worship. The prophetic arts and expression are worshipers, poets, artisans, dancers, theater, mine, craftsmen, writers. They release the heart and will of God to a people through just creativity. You're releasing not your uh, artistic ability, but you're releasing heaven's mandate either in a pen, a brush, a dance, a ballet, a song, a prophetic song. It's a creative expression. It's prophetic. See, the whole culture of the prophetic is inclusive of this. It's not just, thus saith the Lord. Okay, so um, I asked Zoe just to share here, and uh, let's give her a hand. Let's.
1: asking the Lord all day to give me something and it's kind of like I'm just coming up here unprepared but he likes to rip me up like that yeah Um, but I like what Ruth says when she says that as seers we bring reality from the supernatural down here on earth (coughs) Um, I'll just give you a little bit of my testimony I um, at the age of 14 I started cutting um, i had an eating disorder i was anorexic bulimic i was a cutter um i went through several rapes. had an abortion um, and i think that's pretty much most of it um, in my family we didn't have a way to communicate so self-destruction and self-hatred is how that was my outlet um and probably after like three years of trying to seek out what was wrong with me after going to different counselors different inner healing groups and things like that, I went into this one certain place, and I had filled out like a 15-page application, and the guy just kind of went through it in five seconds and looked at me and said, your problem is is you're a seer. You take in everything. You don't know how to deal with it, and that's why you self-destruct. And that was his answer, but I didn't have anything after that to kind of give me, you know, what do I do with this gift? So it was a blessing when I came across Ruth because... When she goes through the seer and she goes through um, the different areas of being sensitive to our environment, I'm very sensitive, and I take on things, and I get frustrated, and my insides feel like they're going to explode, and I don't have an outlet. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord was telling me one day just to sit down and write. And so one day, I just sat down, and I started writing, and the things when I would write were actually different areas of my life that he would end up healing But then he would also have people read them, take them and read them on TV, and through the Holy Spirit in me writing would have people saved internationally. So it was just amazing. Um, So I don't really know how far I should get into this. Um, But the Lord's kind of, I had gotten into um, a period where I was really busy and I was having to work and stuff like that, and so my writing kind of ceased for a little bit, but then all of a sudden I could feel... That start to stir in my spirit again and over the last two months I've been placed into um, a residential home with women that have been in abusive relationships who have been addicted to drugs who have come out of prison and that kind of thing and I went to school to um, do counseling but my specialization was in eating disorders so to throw all these different areas on me it's like God I don't know what to do I have this one focus and this is what I know what to do and I didn't understand what he was doing, like, two weeks ago. But all of a sudden, he just would have me sit down in the evening. And I would go through Pinterest. And I would start pulling up these little pictures. And it was kind of like I just asked God. I was like, God, if you're giving me this variety of people to deal with, you're going to have to give me their heart or your heart to see them. Because I don't know in my flesh how to help them. But I know through the Holy Spirit that you can help them. Um, so I had started writing, and we pulled a couple of them just to kind of see, because the Holy Spirit works in various ways. And um, I wrote something down right here. The ones I'd chosen were just kind of different areas of the Holy Spirit reaching to somebody. Some of them may be my spirit towards God. Another one may be towards, um, I have a trip that's coming up in February to go to India. And I'm not a missions person. I'm a girl who likes electricity and likes my comfort. And so for him to start giving me a heart for, like, these little orphans um, in, a, in an area that's so desolate that I, I don't even know what to expect. But he, the, through the pictures, it's, like, through their eyes and through, I don't know, it, was just, it just started, out like, weighing on my heart. And so then the Holy Spirit would just start giving me words to where if somebody else read them. Um, I guess it would touch them in some way. This website that we have, there's only me and this other lady that's writing on it, and just last week it's reached over almost a thousand people worldwide, and that's just been started in maybe a month and a half. So um, So um I'll just sh- I'll read these out to you. this um one of the places that we will be going is um, dealing with sex trafficking, which is something that's really. On my heart, and um, do you want to show the picture first? So I came across this picture. This is the first one that I saw when it came to sex trafficking and um, over in India, and we're gonna do this in Africa, starting orphanages up to where we bring the girls off of, um, out of the streets, and put them in education programs. But when I saw this one, I was like, God, how, how do you reach somebody like this? I mean, the picture alone is worth a thousand words, so I just sat down, and, and what I do is I, we are atmosphere changers, so I have music going on in the background, And um, I just started writing. And this is what I wrote. They paint me up to sell me out. My innocence lost to make a fee. What kind of life is this for me? I wish to die so I can let go. Their actions hurt my insides. Do they not know? At night I cry all alone in the dark. Is there a way out of this darkness? I hurt. I just hurt. But afraid to say. He might kill me so I continue to stay afraid. And, you know, when I read that, that's just like, (laughs) it just breaks my heart. So that's just, I mean, this is the people in the church that we need to deal with. I mean, we can come in and we can be in a great environment in the presence of the Lord, but he equips us to go out to deal with cases like this. I mean, these are his broken children. This one, when I saw, um, reminded me of one of the women that I had a conversation with. And in 10 months time, I mean, she was telling me, I didn't see her when she first came into the residential center, but she was homeless. um, She basically couldn't hardly walk. She was over 400 pounds and she was, I mean, she had no hope whatsoever. And she was telling me that um, it was when you and I went in there. she was kind of going through the program, but when we came in there, and we and Ruth basically went in there and changed the atmosphere, and the glory just fell. And this woman, all of a sudden, it's like something snapped, and she was like, "Zoe, she's like, I saw what you guys had, and I wanted that, and I just went home, and I got on my knees, and I just cried out to the Lord that if there was any way possible that I could get what you guys had, then this, and she just, um, she just let it all out. So I went home, and um. I just sat down thinking of her when I saw that photo, and uh, this is what I wrote. I'll change that one. It's hard to see, we have that separated in a minute. Well, we'll go back. We'll go back to the other one. Um, this one. Um, this was kind of like when I saw the picture of the lady's face and the roots were embedded into her head and her um, right there. I have read the caption first, miracles start to happen when you give as much energy to your dreams as you do to your fears. At this point in time, it was like I was coming into alignment with the prophetic words that had been spoken over my life, and it was was almost scary, because when God gives us a vision of what we're supposed to do, he doesn't give you the big picture, (laughs) and so for me, I was getting a little overwhelmed, and trying to have faith in what he was showing me, but at the same time, not succumbing to my own fears. So when I saw this, and it was like, okay, God, if you're showing me this, and this is what you want me to do, you know, just, you know, it'll have to be you. And so then I just started writing on this one, and um, this was basically like the Holy Spirit talking to me. It was like, roots were planted before your birth by a source who knows your worth. Through time and through change, through adversity and gain, the roots have sunken and taken place. For you to gain authority through grace, except through faith anybody could read that that at that particular moment it was for me but that reached I don't even know like a hundred and some people um. Um, in this particular moment I think I was praying God. Because what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll ask God, um, you know, give me me one word to write on tonight, and his thing was purpose, and so when I saw this picture, it was just so innocent and sweet, Um, so the caption says, our prime purpose in this life is to help others, and if you can't help them, then at least don't hurt them, and that's kind of one of the things that we're trying to implement in the women that we deal with, Um, so this is what I wrote to that one. the Holy Spirit said, We seek diligently to know our call. Without meaning, we feel we have no purpose. But there's an innate unction that pulls us toward what we are destined to be. Be still, get quiet, unclutter the mind for a moment. Turn into a, turn into a whisper that will unravel the truth of what you are to be. And what I have been seeing is that there's so many broken people that they feel like they have no purpose, and when they feel like they have no purpose or no meaning, they just... Um, come to any kind of addiction they um, feel suicidal they feel like they have no hope no worth and so it's just a matter of implementing into them you know just get quiet just be still and listen to that whisper because there will be something with the holy spirit that will plant that seed and will show them what they are destined to be This is the one when um, the Lord was speaking to me about going to India. Um, this child represents one of the faces of pictures that I've seen. I haven't met her, um, but just through her eyes, it was like the Lord was just speaking to me that when I go over there, this is what I'm gonna, um, this is what I'm gonna have to be faced with. And it said, behind these eyes, you do not see the hurt and frustration you have placed upon me. Was I too much, an inconvenience for you, that you would walk away because my life was no good for you? Help me to understand because I'm so young, feelings of overwhelming, too young to place words, but my heart is broken, and how do I fill the void that has overcome? I miss you. And this was inspired by the lady that had gone over to India, and she said the worst thing that she ever saw was there was a three-year-old little girl that was nursing off a dog, and that's how she was living. Um... So, this was based off that woman's life who basically totally surrendered that night. And I just, um, the Holy Spirit just poured out this prayer. I come before you desperate for release. I've exhausted every resource. There's uh, one shot left. I look up. Can you help me? I've heard you are enough. Saturate my being, penetrate my soul. Give me a reason to hang on. Make your presence known. One last chance for happiness. And since that night, that woman has. Um, She's getting ready to graduate. She has a job. She's got a place to stay. She's got a new car. It's totally amazing in a matter of eight months. But I, that was um, kind of what I wrote after her. But this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit just leads, and this is what goes out across internationally where when people read it, They just I get emails of where they just fall down on their knees, and they're being saved for something as simple as this. So it may not be that we always give a prophetic word to somebody directly. We can write it out. And just with our words, I mean, it's ripple effects throughout the atmosphere, and it changes. And we'll go to the very last one. Um, This one I wrote the other night, um, I just really felt like the Lord was calling a lot of people into a season of rest, not only myself, but um, just when I saw the picture, it was just like, like God was just drawing, like he's just drawing us closer and closer. And so I just, this is what I wrote to this one. In your vast still presence I sit, awed by your beauty, enamored by all your creations. Your majestic artwork I view when I gaze above the horizon. I await your visitation again, or I await your visitation tonight. A promised invitation by you, my reservation confirmed. Gidly, I feel like a little girl waiting to dance on the feet of my father. But much more tonight is anticipated. A bedtime story as I slumber in the palm of your hand, and you I find rest. So that's the power of words and writing, and um, I don't really know where to go from there. But.
0: And see, what she was saying here was that a creative gift release changes lives that she doesn't even know via the internet. So she's bringing what she has to the kingdom. And prophetic changes things. So there's gifts in here. What are you bringing? I know you brought me the cake. But you have gifts inside of you to be unleashed and unlocked. And I believe tonight, if we can maybe just sing one song, just get out and, and envision painting or envision writing or just dance. But allow the creative juices from the Spirit of God to flow and release you to do something. This is powerful stuff. It's creative, prophetic, creative release. And um, some of you are craftsmen. You know, I, I know some, uh, we have a guy that just come to our church. He drew a frog on the side of a building in High Point, and frog means fully rely on God. Well, it was... He saw this picture, and I don't know how big it was, like maybe a story high, the whole frog. and It was written up in the High Point paper, but I don't know how it got out. And he had um, people from New York City come and wa- wanted to know how he did that, and they want to hire him to paint over all the buildings in downtown High Point. But what he's doing is he's releasing prophetic art, prophetic decrees over a city. And that's what's within our bellies, this creative release. And that's what God is speaking tonight. So we just, we release this to you. But I want everybody to stand.